I'm Sarah Carradine, podcasting from unceded Gadigal land. I'm Mari Forth. And this is Crime Scene, the true crime review podcast where we get to the heart of how true crime stories are told. You can subscribe to our feed on uh, robhasawebsite.com forward slash crime feed. Uh, that will get you your true crime on a Tuesday and we drop on the main feed on Wednesday. So do make sure you subscribe to be an early listener and responder. And talking of responses, Mari, we had a wonderful response from one of our listeners last week after uh-huh. we covered uh, Our Father on Netflix with uh, Jason. Um, so listener Alison pointed us to the Guardian article, The Great Sperm Heist. What a title. I thought, oh, I thought we'd stop <laughs> saying sperm last week. Apparently we have said a bit more. Um, so we'll link the article in the show notes. It came in September last year. It highlights another side of these crimes against bodily autonomy. I didn't think there was another layer, but um, from England, 80-year-old Paul was contacted by someone saying she was his daughter, conceived by his donated sperm. He and his wife had visited a fertility clinic to use his sperm to conceive with her and her only, uh, but it turns out that without his knowledge, uh, other, other, other samples were used to uh, father other children, Mari. Mm-hmm. What the hell? Yeah, like <laughs> I did not know that we there. There is another side of stealing people's um, reproduction material, but here <laughs> we are. Here we are, and that. Thank you so much for that um, that recommendation, Allison. I cannot wait to read that because that sounds wild. Mm. Absolutely wild. Um, So, but let's open today's file. Uh, We watched Keeper of the Ashes, the Oklahoma Girl Scout Murders on Hulu. Uh, This is a docuseries that uh, dropped earlier this week concerning the brutal assault and murder of three girls at their sleepaway camp in June of 1977. Uh, Now, everybody, my friends, this is tough material on any day. Uh, but with the recent events in Buffalo and Uvalde, we want you to take a special care of yourself. So just think if this is not for you today, just hop off and join us again next week. Yes, this is very, very, very tough. And it has been a very long couple of weeks uh, for us here in the States. And so we just want to say take care of yourselves. Um, you know, I have to stop myself from, from doom scrolling. For the past few days. So just make sure you're taking care of yourself. Um, if you want to get involved, look for organizations that can help the victims of the, these recent mass shootings. Um, hopefully we can try and find some and put them in our show notes, but just definitely um, take a moment, take a moment if you need it. Um, but uh, let's, let's keep going here, Sarah. Let's keep going today because to talk all this through, we have a brilliant guest, social justice warrior, romance novel liker, and football stan, one of the two best mess magnets on the internet, our friend Sasha Joseph. Sasha, how are you? Hi. Oh, so good. You know, much like Kristen Chenoweth, I am from Broken Arrow, um, but have no connection to anything related. But I can't wait to still talk to you about this and make it about me. Yeah. Drag her. Drag her. I can't wait. <laughs> 
Oh my before, god! Before we jump into the crime, I'm cracking um, up already. Sasha, what's your true crime origin story? How did you get interested in true crime, and what what do you like? What particular styles do you like? Yeah, I have always been into true true <laughs> crime. She can't wait to drag god. Kristen, but go ahead. No, it's fine. I'm back. <laughs> um, yeah, I've always been into true crime. I think since actually I was a little kid, um, my mom like kind of allowed me to watch like spooky things. Like it was mm-hmm. never like a like a taboo or something. It was like something we always discussed at home. And uh, I have a master's in human relations where I really got to learn the psychology and, you know, like really understanding people in a different way. So um, that's like, I feel like what keeps me in true crime is really understand trying to figure out the why or the how of mm-hmm. like the the crimes and the you know just like why the heck do people do this and i think like yeah. most maybe women it's like it could happen to me so mm-hmm. um that's the that's the thing maybe that keeps me around as well so you know that's kind of how i got into it and i think i'm most into like murders mm-hmm. um against women um but again mm-hmm. which for reasons that are so textbook because it could happen right. to me. Yeah. exactly yeah. exactly no we couldn't have thought of a better person to ask uh, to talk about this and again everybody as you know we take these crimes very seriously if we have mm-hmm. moments of levity if we laugh it's partly because you know the podcast we're trying to entertain you but also it is one of the tools that we have is to have a little moments of levity in the middle of what is quite a horrific and certainly the most horrific thing I think we've covered so far, uh, Mari. Um, yeah, and uh, just to like piggyback off of that, um, you know, we're going to talk about the crime up front, but it, most of the most of the, the commentary for today will definitely be, you know, we're we're here. We're a true crime property review podcast. So that's what I'm going to re- be reviewing is this this series itself. Um, so any f- opinions about it, negative and or otherwise, is definitely <laughs> going to be <laughs> aimed at the series. And of course, not the crime. Um, yeah. Yeah, so let's like saying that up top here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because they, they are two different things and well said. So the crime mm-hmm. itself, let's go into it. On the 13th of June, 1977, three young girls aged 8 to 10 were beaten to death and sexually assaulted as they slept in their tents at Camp Scott. That's the Girl Scout camp in Locust Grove, Oklahoma. Uh, the girls were all from Tulsa. Their names were Laurie Lee Farmer, she was eight, Michelle Guzay, she was nine, and Doris Denise Milner, and she was ten. Uh, Doris Denise is called Denise by her mother throughout this documentary, so that's how we'll refer to her as well. Mm-hmm. A man named Jean Leroy Hart, uh, a Cherokee uh, Nation man who had escaped from prison four years before, uh, he was in prison for 308 years for kidnapping and raping two pregnant women. He left them for dead, uh, strapped to trees in the woods. Uh, so this man was a uh, suspect. He was caught. He was put on trial. He was found not guilty, uh, partly because it was uh, suggested that the district attorney and the sheriff at the time had planted evidence that they had an animus against him because uh, he was uh, an escapee for four years and he'd made them look bad, um, and partly because the townspeople remembered him as the high school football hero, they didn't believe he was capable of murder. 
And we must remember this is despite the fact that he pled guilty to the earlier kidnappings and rapes. So as I say, he was a Cherokee man. In the documentary, he and other Indigenous people are referred to as Indians, in one case, Indians uh, and Native Americans. Um, it's my understanding that the preference is uh, to refer to the uh, nation. Uh, we will try to respect that. Uh, we won't try to. We just bloody will. Um, mm-hmm. After he was acquitted, he had to go back to prison to complete his sentence. He still had another 305 years to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, but after exercising in the prison yard, he died of a heart attack a, a few months after the trial. So although the case is officially unsolved, uh, contemporary uh, DNA evidence now rules out any other suspect and strongly points towards Hart. So, Sasha, this case, what did you know about it before the documentary and how is it all about you? Yeah, can't (laughs) wait. So, Michelle, I think, was from Broken Arrow, which is uh, the town I am actually from. And uh, Broken Arrow is just a suburb of Tulsa, I guess. And uh, Kristen Chenoweth actually went to the same high school as me. That is my only, like, real connection. Well, there's only one high school in Broken Arrow, so. Um, (laughs) But it is the largest in Oklahoma, you know. and so, yeah, that's my like only connection necessarily to this case, but I've heard about it before just because again, living in that area, um, I, I moved to Oklahoma when I was 14 from India, but you know, it's just, it's part of the DNA sometimes it feels uh, like. So I had heard of it, but I, I don't know that I knew. Like looked into it. Yes, exactly. Uh-huh. And like, we're so, we're so deep into it until. Like Sarah asked me to uh like guest on here, and then I was like, "Oh my God, look at this! Oh look at this! Oh look at that!" Um, and it was wild just seeing like the names that you know I know so well, um, even just of towns, but actually seeing them and how it all comes together in the documentary was wild. Yeah. Uh, and Mari, what, what about you? Did you know about this case before we decided to cover the documentary? I actually didn't. I actually did not. Um, like, or at least it was never one that was top of mind. Like when I first read the, um, like the info about it, I was like, oh, it like, there's sadly a million different cases that kind of are like this, like women, girls, people being abducted from their tents in the middle of the night, in the middle of the country. Like that seems to be unfortunately like a, a thing that happens a lot. So, um, at first I thought I did. Their 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 faces looked a little bit familiar, but as the the series went on, um, I was like, no, I I didn't have any preconceived notions going into to the series for knowing the case, and honestly, that's probably why I did not really enjoy the series. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it, it enjoy enjoys it is a tough word. Let, let's jump into the series. So mm-hmm. Hulu dropped uh, all four uh, episodes. Uh, they're around 40 to 45 minutes each. They dropped all at once. This is not their usual model. So I wonder if they had well, thoughts about the series themselves. It seems <laughs> like they're kind of moving towards that model. Because mm-hmm. I think they did that exact same thing with Captive Audience, correct? And then there's a new one on there. Um, I think they did the same thing. So I think Hulu is kind of jumping into this uh, true crime and actually making it bingeable. But I'm not yeah. sure. And also Hulu, Hulu did uh, Candy. They dropped five oh, episodes yeah. uh, Monday to Friday 
a couple of weeks ago. So they're also playing with formats. Um, oh, so yeah. this one we find directed by Remy Weber or Weber. I'm not sure if they have the <laughs> Germanic pronunciation. Uh, um, directed other things, but particularly The Genetic Detective, which is a six-part series from 2020 uh, and produced by Nick Zieg Owens, who also produced Genetic Detective and was the director of the documentary Trixie Mattel Moving Parts, which I thoroughly mm. recommend. It's not true crime, but it's something <laughs> uh, very interesting, sort of DNA there. Look at that. Let's get into our discussion. I can't hold Mari back another moment. Kristen Chenoweth, go. I mean, this series could have been an email if it wasn't for Kristen Chenoweth. Like, I, so, okay, so many thoughts. So the way that this this docu this docu series is like um, presented, it's like the keeper of the ashes, um, the Oklahoma G- Girl Scout murders, and Kristen Chenoweth's face is everywhere, and she's on all the trailers. And I I don't know if she produced it, like was an executive producer on it, but in the very first episode, Kristen Chenoweth was like she and she introduces the town. She's like, I went to school. I was at the same age of these girls, but then like Sasha so deftly pointed out. She did not know the girls. She she came. I thought she was going to come close to say like one of the girls is her friend, and she's like, nope. If that much, I maybe saw her in the hall. I'm like, what? And then she's like, oh, and I I wanted to be a Girl Scout so bad I could have been on that trip, guys. I don't think she was a Girl Scout. I don't think she was a Girl Scout that missed the trip. I think she wasn't a Girl Scout point blank period and missed the trip. A scandalo. <laughs> I don't know, but it, it truly pissed me off because they gave her so much time in like the beginning of each episode, like, and just walking her through the crime scenes. We had, we came back to an episode where she's just singing and talking about how, how she escaped her, her small town roots by singing and being on Broadway and then flashing all her, her trophies and stuff. And I'm like, get back to the case. And then it ends on a, eight minute long um, performance between her and one of her students singing some very sad song at the end. These, mind you, Sarah said these were 40 to 45 minute episodes. If you, I was so tempted to go back and count the minutes, all of the minutes that Kristen Chenoweth was on the screen. Because if you took out all of those minutes, this could have been an hour and a half to two hour top documentary. And that's what it should have been because it was not worth these four parts and it was not worth the layout that they chose. I am sorry. Sasha, please. I know you, I know you got to draft. I know you want to draft. Oh my God. I'm trying so hard to be nice, but what the actual hell is going (laughs) on? Because to me, it felt like it was a promo for her school and she was mm. like oh and remember that murder that happened in Oklahoma <laughs> like like, like you're so telling me there is nothing going on in Tulsa or Broken Arrow uh, that is better for you to showcase than maybe bringing the girl you know these like four families and the girls along because it felt like ABC News decided right to do this and then they were like hmm how do we get more like clicks on this? Great. We're going to add Broken Era's most famous person on there. And maybe that'll get us more clicks. But to me, it actually made me almost want to click off yes. of it and just read what happened. Because I was mm-hmm. like, you're annoying. The sheriff killed it. Okay. I loved him. 
Mm-hmm. And yes. it's sheriff just, Mike, the quiet sheriff. Yes. Mm-hmm. Or the quiet sheriff. Yeah. Um, and every time we stepped out of that to go and do some um ego boosting for <laughs> Kristen Chano, it made no sense. Like, can we talk about how we showed up to her school, her act performing art mm-hmm. school? Was any of those girls there a Girl Scout? At least, you know, at least lie and be like, wow, look, I opened this for Girl Scouts. At least, at least make it relevant. Here's, here's the thing. Like, Kristen Chenoweth, Kwa, Kristen Chenoweth is fabulous. I love her. I'm mm-hmm. a, I'm, I'm, I've been all my life in the performing arts. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not a Broadway baby, but I like musicals. I've written an opera. I love Kristen Chenoweth. She's very engaging. She's very tiny. She's very passionate. Mm-hmm. She's very articulate. Please give me a 90-minute special of Kristen Chenoweth talking about her town, talking about her childhood, coming to the Performing Arts Centre that she's made and engaging with these young people. Give me that. Give me that mm. special. Take her out of this true crime documentary, please. Mm-hmm. Because apart from the fact of what is she doing there, there's a lot of misdirects. She opens the entire four-part series by saying, it's time to come back for answers. And you think, oh, there's going to be some revelation heretofore unknown. I talked about the contemporary DNA um, exculpating all the other suspects and heavily um, indicating heart. Mm-hmm. This was not done this year, last year, or in the last six months. This was <laughs> no. already known. So the answers that she has come back to find were very ephemeral, and I could have done without her <laughs> slow motion walking through uh, everything. Touching a tree is things. dead. We get a tree it. Is dead. <laughs> Trees die. God. So Kristen, much slow motion. Walking. We, <laughs> so much slow motion. There was. There was. They, they used all the slow motion. They won't. You'll notice in the next couple of months, everybody. There'll be no slow motion in documentaries. <laughs> Kristen used it all. Love her. Yeah. Did not like her inclusion in the uh, documentary, and what was incredibly enraging for me apart from being compelled to listen to this in a not particularly interesting song about friendship <laughs> is she says to the young girl let's think about love and I said, okay let's think about love that's nice let's think about you know hugging and healing okay that's fine and then she says wow. let's think about their friendship as if we hadn't been paying attention at the beginning of the episode when we found out that those girls met that night when they were put into a tent together. Oh, right. <laughs> and then the song is about friendship and enduring friendship. And you go, yeah, I guess they were friends for the rest of their lives. Dang. Oh, dang, Sarah. <laughs> well, they were. You know? I mean, that is, that is truly is like, it just didn't, it didn't make sense. And Sarah, you make a good point. Just take the, the Kristen Chenoweth footage out of here, put the, the true crime footage together. You could have had two perfectly good, like short form documentaries, like two separate things. But you put them together to make a long form docuseries that truly didn't make sense. And we'll get into it even more. But I felt like the the time that they allotted to Chris, Kristen, like, like it could have been used maybe flushing out this case and presenting mm-hmm. the case better because the, these these episodes took me on a roller coaster but not in a good way i yeah. almost yeah i almost felt that each episode itself the like they had no through narrative like 
uh, like we talk about it how like documentaries there's they're they're they, sometimes they're not always objective objective Objective. Yeah. yeah. Objective. No. Right. Objective. Yeah. Yeah. So sometimes they pick a side, you know. This one felt so weird. Like they didn't really pick a side, but the way that they presented what was happening felt like you wanted me to think one thing. And then in the next episode, you wanted me to think another thing. And then by the end, I was like, oh, well, that's anticlimactic. Like it was just, it was. I it was a lot. Um, yeah, yeah but that's all, a, I guess I'm done with Kristen. Yeah, I yeah. You, I mean, you make a good point, and let's and let's move on now in terms of how that time could have been used, um, because I, I've done some side googling, and I know Sasha, you've got things to tell us about other properties. There was material that I found out in five minutes that was not in the documentary that I mm-hmm. felt was quite germane. We'll talk about that when we get to that uh, section. Let's move on now to the talking heads. We There are a lot of talking heads. Uh, they do this very peculiar thing where half of the interviews with the talking heads, they're on the extreme left of the screen in profile. They talk yeah. to me, talk to me. Uh, leaving that stylistic the Christian or stylistic uh, thing aside, we have the parents of Laurie. We have Sherry and Bo Farmer. We have Denise's mother, Betty Milner. Uh, we mm-hmm. don't have Michelle's parents. Um, her father, Richard, died in 2018, and her mother, Georgianne, is now 88. So I think that probably tells us why we don't uh, see those uh, parents, particularly Richard. Um, mm-hmm. We have camp counsellor Carla White. Carla White is extraordinary. She could have narrated mm-hmm. the whole thing as far as I was concerned. And briefly, Michelle Hoffman. Uh, we have journalists. We have contemporary journalist Tim Stanley. We have retired journalists of the time, Bob Sands, Michael Butchter, and photojournalist Michael Wheat with a magnificent moustache, I have to say. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that moustache was That it moustache was, heavy. was something. It was um, we've mentioned Sheriff Mike, the quiet sheriff. Uh, he is currently the... Um, the sheriff, he was eight at the time of the murders. Uh, we have the, the contemporaneous sheriff, Pete Weaver, who was the sheriff at the time. We have Andrea Fielding, mm-hmm. who's the current director of forensics. We have the lawyers. Uh, and what did we think about all of these people, their selection and how much time each of them were given? Sasha, I'll go to you first. Oof. Um, I think they left out a lot of people, um, one. And then second, but whatever i think that i understand why but they still did and um i will say like i found it very hard to remember who was who mm-hmm. i don't know about you because if i wasn't podcasting about it i think i because i had to go back and be like who is this person again who is this person again like i i even forgot the deep defense attorney i was like oh that's who you are like mm-hmm. it, it took me so long because because again, one Kristen Chenoweth kept showing up, while, you know, and was breaking up the the continuation. Uh, mm-hmm. And Carla Sue, how are y'all only going to give us this about her when she basically is the crux, you know, of the story? And then again, like mm-hmm. um, I listened to other pieces about this, and there was other counselors that saw other things. Oh wow! So mm-hmm. it's just it's it's giving messy. <laughs> Wow. Let me also point out one reason why you might be a little bit confused on who all these talking heads were. The footage. Okay. So like Sarah pointed out, 
some of the talking heads were shot an extreme profile into mm. the left of, of camera. I think these were like the more, these were the talking heads that they had available to them in this day. They then stitched in together other interviews. I don't know where from. That's but, in the, doc, uh, the other documentary. It is? Oh, yeah. Jesus. And so you can tell that it's from a different property because it's shot the in aspect like, ratio. Yeah, the, the aspect as- ratio. Yeah. Is yeah. Yeah. It, and I was like, and it was so jarring to go between like the modern style talking heads, even when they're just straight on to like the different aspect ratio. And they did that for all of the, a lot of the mm-hmm. footage as well, like the footage of the crime scene and stuff like that. Going back and forth between the, the aspect ratios was so weird to me it did not it did i did not like that feeling because i kind of just would love a a full-on old documentary in that whole style more than coming back and forth or maybe they did it in such a way that it it made it more jarring but it was definitely i could i could tell you know i'm saying normally i can't really tell but you could tell the different. I was like, okay, well, that's from a different time period. That's from a different time period. This looks like it's just stitched together randomly, you know. And it was just not. It wasn't the tea. And that's why. And that's why with the with the talking heads, it was it was definitely really really hard to try and figure out who was talking about what. Um, I mean, I, I like the insights from uh, the the modern guy who was at the the newspaper, I don't think he had anything to do with the story itself. He was just explaining newspapers, mm-hmm. <laughs> how newspapers but work I, back I, in the I, day. This is, this is Tim Stanley. I thought he was great mm-hmm. value. I would have heard more. Oh, I liked him. Yeah. Yes, well, I, I definitely liked him. He's a reporter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But mm-hmm. I, it was just weird. He was kind of like holding our hands through it. Yes. And then I still don't even know like you really had to pay attention to him because a lot of the, especially when it comes to the news at the time, it wasn't clicking. Like it wasn't making sense to me. Like the perception of the media versus the perception of the mm-hmm. town versus the perception of the case itself. Something about it was really like off kilter. But uh, Sarah, anything uh, you want to say about the talking heads? Well, I just, I, I think there were either too many of them or not enough of them. Um, no, or not enough uh, of the right know, ones. Not enough of the <laughs> yes. right ones. Like, first of all, face the camera. Please uh, <laughs> talk to us or talk just past us to a producer. That's fine. Um, it's very moving to see the families, but uh, to be, this is a little harsh, but Sherry and Bo, Laurie's parents and, and Betty, Denise's mother, I could have done with a quarter of they had to say because mm-hmm. looking sadly at photographs i i i i understand you don't i don't need to it's not that i don't need to see it and i don't want to yeah. take away their ability to speak their truth but there was a lot particularly of sherry and mm-hmm. then we have brief flashes of her back in the day show me that sherry show me that sherry talking about wanting the death penalty and then perhaps now her thoughts have changed or whatever it might be. It just was not to the point. And then the people that were interesting, as you say, Tim Stanley, we love Sheriff Mike. Uh, I could Uh have heard a little more from him. And then um, Gary Pitchlin, who was the legal advisor, Native American legal advisor, and was retained by the defence, had some things to say. We didn't really dig in uh, where we could. 
And Harvey Pratt, the OSBI crime scene investigator who I mentioned, uh, was also a Native American. I didn't know. I think he had a lot to say, but I don't know that the documentary investigated or allowed him to unpack it or allowed him to tell it in his way. Mm-hmm. Um, he, yeah, it, it, it was confused to me. And, yeah. and, and I think you're right about point of view, Mari. Uh, Serial season one can take us on the roller coaster where every uh-huh. episode we either think he did it or he didn't do it because that's yep. what the journalist is going through. If they were trying to do this here, they completely failed. That's um, what it was. Yep. Yeah. So that's it for the talking heads. So let's expand from there uh, about how well the documentary did. I mean, we've given we've given some ideas. I mean, I'll start by saying I liked the pacing. I really mm. appreciate the really? pacing. Yeah, it's slow. <laughs> My friends, it's slow. But mm-hmm. had the material been better organised? Had we had the deeper dives, the more granular dives with fewer people, I mm-hmm. think this pace would have worked very well. It would have asked us to sit with this case, sit with the effect it's had on the the town and the state and the people, and to contemplate what has changed, what is the same. Mm-hmm. It so for me the pacing tick good if the material had been better. So I think Mm. they did that well, and I think the superimposition of the photographs from the time over the thing, over the the views now, I thought was really good because that, again, placed us there. Uh, We didn't need Kristen Chenoweth showing us. We Mm. needed this very um, very nice kind of technique of here is the cabin but here's what it looked like then, and you see both at the same time. So that made me think of this is 45 years ago, but is it now? What do we carry with us? Like I think I thought deeper thoughts than the documentary actually led me to. Uh, What about you, Sasha? What do you think they did well? What do you think they did badly? Yeah, I think agreed. And I would add the DNA analyst. Andrea Fielding. Fielding. She's the current director of Forensic OSBI. Mm. And if I could interpolate what drove me mad was they had reenactments of her testing DNA with her long blonde hair cascading all over the place. And I thought, mm-hmm. oh, Mari, Mari's going to have something to But then they had masks on. Like, yes, it made, oh, at, at that point, just show your face. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but it was actors reenacting, so that's probably why. Mm-hmm. But either way, yeah, like, I think she, hearing from her, and I think, why did they end it so abruptly? I literally was like, wait, is there more? Sarah told me there were only four episodes. I'm confused because... To me, there was either that there should have been more or at least an ending title card uh-huh. of um here, like he's still not convicted as of now, but we believe blah, 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 blah. You uh-huh. know, and I was like, I feel like that's bare minimum of every crime story ever is like where the case is or what happened, uh-huh. you know, to everyone. And how, again, y'all, maybe I missed it, but how are they not mentioning all the people that aren't part of this and here's here's the biggest example um and maybe i shouldn't share it now and sorry if not jump in, be jump a different in time yeah, yeah for it but i have to share this part because one of um 
Denise had a sister. I mean, they all, there was a lot of hmm. family members that came into it. Again, I was like, this Betty, she's alone. What are we going to do? Right. You know, like, how, who's I going to take care of Betty? Cause like, do I need to go back to work? <laughs> like, what's going on? You know, I'm stressed. Poor Betty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And yeah. So anyway, so, so her sister, Kathleen, um, apparently y'all the day before asked her mom, what happens when people die? Mm-hmm. And Betty said, new babies are born every day, you know, a circle of life, blah, blah, blah. And then she goes, mama, tomorrow, everybody's going to die. And next yep. day they were all murdered. How is that not included in this? Because I feel like they were trying to go the like family route and not the like hard hitting facts route. So then let's go the family route. And how are you not telling us why Michelle's family isn't here? So that was included. It, it was, was just, yeah, oh. like Betty. Oh my God. No, Betty literally said it like really quickly. Like I didn't. Oh, it, sorry. No, 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 no. It was in the first episode. Mm-hmm. And the only reason why I remember it is because I was like, oh, baby, the ancestors were talking. Yes. And they just did not listen because even Denise herself in the first episode we heard Denise all of a sudden she was she was so ready to go on this Girl Scout camp trip for like months and months and months then the night before she was like she just didn't want to go um Mm. you know we're told that like they're at the bus stop and Betty was like telling Denise like you you know you should go they had to have a a camp count the camp counselor the one who was on here she came down and she talked to her and she promised to sit her on the bus with her and Betty told Denise, if you know, if you're feeling homesick, just go there for the night. If you're feeling homesick, we'll come in, you know, we'll come and get you um, as soon as possible. Mm. But that baby did not want to go. And that's yeah. the that's the one thing in the first episode that really stuck with me because I am a I'm a firm believer in your your ancestors, your angel, your yes. somebody. And when they are talking to you, you want to listen. And it's just unfortunate, like it 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 happens every day. You just don't you don't listen. And um, I think that was the best yeah. use of the family in mm-hmm. the documentary. The first episode was the best use of the families because that's where it hits home. That's where you humanize the victims before you talk about the case. And I think that's where um, I, I think we got the most use out of them. After that, um, it felt repetitive and it yes. didn't and it felt like kind of just bringing these people back to this place for no reason except for um like i think sarah you point out with sherry i think it was um yes. laura lee's mom i didn't realize i the one thing that i looked up she like well no you had include you included in the outline was that she had a she has the whole you know she she set up a whole victims fund and all this stuff like she's been mm-hmm. very active since so they didn't say anything about that in the in the documentary. And but. we didn't and with Sherry, we didn't dig into the fact that she I mean, again, it was quickly picked up and dropped. You know, back then I wanted to find who it was and give and the, for them to get the death penalty. And she just mm-hmm. emphasizes back then. But then no one says, and now, forty five mm-hmm. years later, what are your thoughts? I mean, I think it's so, important to say, yes, trust trust your instincts, your ancestors, your better yes. angels. Not that you blame me. But I yeah, no, no. <laughs> but I also me. think that out of the hundred and forty Girl Scouts who went to that camp, there have to be at least five who said, Oh, I actually I don't want to go. I don't want to go. True. This is the first time. So I am not negating 
those mm-hmm. feelings. But I'm also saying that for Betty, she would have thought, oh, it's just, it's just what, nerve. you know, five, ten other girls are also yes. saying right well, now. Well, are yeah, and the letters that they wrote to oh, their mom, to their families, yeah. horrible, heartbreaking letters. Especially, again, Denise's letter is truly the worst. Yeah. And oh, this is when you're just like, I agree with you, Mari. Like the energy that mm-hmm. was coming around this whole thing was wrong and bad. Yeah. And oh, it's like even now, right? Like you want to push anyone to do something like, oh, at least try it once. At least try it once. But I can't imagine in the 70s with the lack of understanding about anything in the world mm-hmm. how much even more you know you're just like well i don't know and and i know we'll get into it later but like the camp setting that in and itself you i would never send my child girl <laughs> i'm telling you so i was a girl scout i was a girl scout I've yeah me too in india plenty oh. of times. Mm-hmm. I've, I've gone camping plenty of times I have never seen this setup in my whole entire life. Every time we went camping, when I tell you all of us were in one like area, like together, if not one tent, one building, one structure, like we all, we were never in like separate small tents. I, the only, the only time I went like small tent camping with a big group of people wasn't even like Girl Scouts. It was like a teen center type deal. You know, yeah. and we were we were older at that at that time. So it is really interesting. Like, how did you have that many tents and stuff and like not a, a counselor not assigned to each one? You know what I'm saying? Like, I again, and they're not, out in the open. Yeah, like, that's what's weird. Like Camp Scott is like known for I mean, in that area, not necessarily Camp Scott, but that area is known for outlaws hanging out there like that's oh, wow. a thing it's the badlands um, it's yes, the Bonnie it's, and Clyde country you know? exactly like that's what this place is known for for years like this is not like a after a this thing. murder this happened mm-hmm. it's that's what it's always known for because it's so hard to find people it's so hard to say because it um it's pretty wooded and the mm-hmm. counselor's tent here's the Man, here this is where you're just like, how is life this way? Because the counselor's tent can I, I screenshotted this like with the picture. Mm-hmm. But the counselor's tent can see every tent except tent seven, yep, which is a victim exactly. tent. Because the kitchen and storage well. is right in between that. Like to me, I I don't want to talk that up to 70s. I think that is truly bad planning and mm-hmm. not well, understanding why you didn't how have it's a string. It's a string of tents moving away from the where the counselors are. Yes. Why isn't the counselor's tent in the middle? In the middle. Why <laughs> isn't there a counselor walking up and down with a flashlight in the and night? Or I mean, security. Stuff, yeah, but these counselors were eighteen and twenty, and yeah. there wasn't this idea of of being able to do that. So uh, certainly, and not said in the documentary, uh, Sherry and Bo actually sued, uh, Laurie's parents mm. uh, sued um, the Girl Scouts but Girl were Scouts. Un- unsuccessful. Uh, but their yeah. their, their uh, position was that the environment was unsafe, as, as Sasha points out. Truly, because there was no fit. Like, again, being a Girl Scout, we any time we camped, we camped in a fenced-in enclosure yes. that was specifically for Girl Scout camping only like it was it was not just in the wild wild west in the woods. they had a gate like, they had a gate 
not a big enough gate apparently <laughs> like so we, keep we're talking out. compounds here yeah, yeah like game. that yeah. was for us too in india we yeah we were at school we were like our camping was um thankfully we were lucky enough to have like acres um it, like for our sports ground so that's where we would camp because they were like yeah you're staying at school um yeah. and you're you know we're gonna have security around and it's just it and I like I said I don't blame the counselors I'm talking about how horrible the like setup is from the higher ups like how is there no adult around with little little kids like to me eight and ten year olds are little little kids and like mm-hmm. they cannot you know, and how can they be alone? Like, how can you leave eight-year-olds and ten-year-olds alone? I I don't understand. I really need to get to the meat of this yeah, documentary yes. and how I yes, I really did not like how they they <laughs> laid it out. <laughs> um, but like the the one thing that I liked about it, uh, I felt like there uh, there was a focus on each episode. So episode one was the parents, the kids, everything leading up to the crime. Episode two was the crime itself and like the shock of it all and and everything unfolding and then at the end of two it was like setting up for like who they think the suspect is the third one was uh or sorry the second one was also the manhunt for the suspect the third one was we caught the suspect here's his trial and then the fourth one was modern times not really modern because this was in 2013 2014 Mm -hmm. we're gonna go over the case we're going to include, we're finally going to go over the forensics and stuff like that. We're going to tell you, you know, what, what we know so far, like the updates or whatever. So I, I like that breakdown. However, I hated that the first 10 minutes of every episode recapped the last episode. Yes. It recapped the last episode. And it, in some shape or form, probably had Kristen Chenoweth in it. So it's like, like we're not binging this. Yeah, it, you dropped it all at once. We're watching it all the way through. <laughs> like, what is the point of recapping? If recapping is a fourth of the runtime of the next episode, this does not need to be a standalone episode. I, I truly, truly feel like this could have been better digested. Even with all, all of the, apparently the boatloads of stuff they left out in this case, it would have been easily digested if you condensed this to around the two hour mark, little less than two hours, and then you still left out as much stuff. I would give you more leeway. I'd be like, okay, yeah, yeah, exactly. you're about, you're, you guys are about to tell me all the stuff that they left out of this case. Um, how do you leave something out of a four part series? You know what I'm saying? Like where you had so much time you could have played with. But you spent that time on freaking recaps and Kristen Chenoweth was singing in her girls teaching choir academy, whatever. Like, that's what annoyed, truly, truly annoyed the hell out of me about this documentary. And the fact that like half the time, like that second episode, the case itself, the second, let's let's say the second and third episode, right? Because they were keeping, it seemed like they were trying to keep the forensics and their actual science stuff to the fourth episode. Me as a scientist, as I'm watching the second episode and even the third episode, I'm trying to figure out where's the evidence. Like, yes, you told yes. me the crime. Yes. You told me the crime, but barely are we getting any evidence. We're not. They're not talking about. We didn't get the the ligature marks. We didn't get any of that about you know the, how Denise was found until the fourth episode. You know, we we barely got. And I, I don't need like 
gratuitous details about kids' death, but I need to know what evidence, what what the evidence you're looking at that you're trying to build this case. So we oh, have come like on. A- law enforcement just knew he did it. Isn't that enough <laughs> for you? I know that's right? not enough for me. No, I <laughs> so agree with you, Mari. That's why I feel like I went on a like a chase of everything i feel like because mm-hmm. i just had zero idea about the case and again i'm exactly. not like i'm not looking for trauma porn but right. i'm just saying i want to know more about what exactly happened happened like yes. to me um i don't even know how they got onto the bus right because they talked about oh we told them that you're in trouble uh, for keeping us late at night so you're gonna go on a hike okay but like what was going on in your mind you're a, basically a teenager right having to like deal with this like let's talk through that a little bit more um because if you're gonna give me counselors give me counselors and mm-hmm. actually like that you know and their mindset and well how did they get on the bus you know who did they call because i think it's an, an later that we find out that it's um how their families got the phone call that it was mm-hmm. their kid um and again we've in another documentary, I found out how they actually handled all of that. And it was truly horrible. Was it? I, I yeah. felt that it was horrible because I felt that like the farmers got a direct call while yes. Denise Milner, I mean, Betty Milner, they said, oh, they couldn't find her. So they didn't know. And yeah, she was at the school she works at. Yeah. They couldn't find her. Was very so, odd. Yeah, it uh, it did. It, like this, this documentary really felt like I did not go chasing the answer. So I'm really glad you guys did, um, because I was just so mad. But I could feel that there was that there was stuff missing. You when you can feel, and again, I didn't know this case, so that's why I'm saying it's probably worked to their detriment that this was one of the few cases that I I did not know mm-hmm. because. Um, I was just so baffled the whole time as to what happened because Sasha is right. They truly did not lay out what the crime, what crime actually took place until the fourth episode where we get yeah. the good old Sheriff Mike and we'll talk about him, like really laying out what happened. I was like, oh, you know, like it was it was very, very annoying. And then the, they talk about the flashlight. They talk about all of these random things left in a cave and oh they got the they think they know who the guy is and then we you know and then we go into the chase and we can we can move on but like i was very very confused at a lot of this in the in the in the in the first three episodes to be quite honest the first three episodes were so confusing it truly took the fourth episode to put all the pieces together and then i went back and watched try to watch as much as i possibly could again to be like okay this makes sense now Yeah. I mean, again, none of us, none of us want it graphically, but we do want mm. to know what the crime is. And uh, as I was taking my notes, they were all murdered. We know that. It seemed at first, the first I heard of it, that that one had been sexually assaulted, and then they mm. all had. And it's like, well, which is it? And was it I'm before? So, yeah, or after? I thought it was. Other I mean, ways again, so that's yeah. interesting. Well, I thought it was the other way as well, but I tried to. I, I didn't really want to look into that too much. Yeah. Um, but get, please tell me what the crime is that we're talking about. Yeah. That the um, they kept talking about the tree. It was only, as you say, Amari, in episode four that we actually hear. Unfortunately, yeah. two two of the little girls were uh, dumped in this inside their sleeping bags, but one of mm. them was. Uh, let's say taped to a tree. I'll leave it there. Um, in the same manner as the the, the previous, 
the two, the two women again. They're they didn't say they're women. They're pregnant yeah. women. Uh, they're so, pregnant. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> I oh, I thought did sorry. They say that sorry. The I in- no, they didn't. Oh, they didn't. No. That's what I was about I'm to sorry. say. I was like, I did not know they said they did not say it in that. Sorry, fashion. sorry, how, sorry. No, no, no. That's good, Sasha. Because how do you like, leave how that you, out? How do, how do you leave, leave that, that out? out? One because, thing, though, I, I will say, Murray, and I and I, mm-hmm. we will talk about the jury. Um, Sasha and I will talk about the jury. Um, when we talk about like our side googling, but one thing that's interesting is. Uh, and I'll bring up here, is the thought is the jury, one of the reasons the jury found him not guilty was they were like, where's the evidence? So the jury felt very mm-hmm. much like you did. Like we but, did. But, but, but we shouldn't have been confused by the makers of the documentary. And yeah, I exactly the confusion that you're expressing and that we all experienced was by the makers of the documentary, not by law enforcement, not making their case. Right, exactly. Exactly that point. Because again, when Sheriff Mike tells us in episode four that Denise was bound to the tree, to the tree in the same manner that the other two women from um, Hart's previous rape cases were, that wasn't even mentioned in the third episode during the trial phase. There's a reason because uh, the the judge didn't allow it. Gotcha. I I figured so, it was something to that effect, but, but again, it, it how can you not say that? Told us. Mm-hmm. Um, or the prosecutor, the Tulsa World guy, should have told us. Um, like, oh, and here's how, because they tell us a little bit about public opinion, right? Like, he was a mm-hmm. football player, and listen, I just want to say, like, this is true. Like, football players in Oklahoma, like, it's got country football. Like, that right. is truly how it is. And so as soon as they were like, oh, he was a star football player. I was like, that makes all the sense in the world. They can mm-hmm. really do whatever the hell they want. Um, And this is like, it doesn't matter. High school, peewee football, high school football uh, and college, like at the University of Oklahoma, it was the same thing. So they left out so much about what the town actually like, you know, how the town was riding for him. Mm-hmm. I felt like, and you know, or they said it in passing, and I don't know that people recognized it as much. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they didn't pick a point of view, and I think that's one of the big things mm. against this documentary. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Are you going to focus on family, or are you going to do a procedural, or are you going to start with um, Cheryl, the contemporary, uh, sorry, Andrea, the contemporary uh, DNA person? And work backwards, which is another mm-hmm. way to do it. Um, and they did a little bit of everything and gave us a lot of nothing, I think. Nothing. Yeah. Well, I know mm-hmm. we want to talk about like the um, mystical elements of his, of them trying to find him. Like this, this was weird. <laughs> this was so weird because they're like, when they, when they narrowed it down to thinking it was him, right? It, again, it went so fast for me. It was yes. like, it was like there's a flashlight, there's a cave. Uh, Harvey was it was Harvey right the Native American OSB he did give me a funny quote where he was when they went into the cave and there was four <laughs> sacrificial flames or whatever he's like oh please don't let this be an Indian and I was dying because I'm like I know that. <laughs> I know right, been there. He literally was like, yep, been yep, there. Yep. <laughs> like, be like, please don't let this be one of us. Yeah. Um, but, but he, he went undercover to find out where, so once they decided it was Hart, uh, mm-hmm. he, Harvey, uh, went undercover into, into, um, the, uh, local indigenous people to try and find out where, where he might, where Hart might be. Uh, he finds that, uh, the rumor is he's 
staying with a medicine man who's lost a brother. He figures out who that is. He goes to see the medicine man's wife and he says, if you tell us where he is, we will bring him in alive. Mm-hmm. And that's what persuades her to tell him. Now, that's fascinating. Over in a flash, not, in, not, not looked at, not delved into uh, his feelings when Hart uh, is found not guilty are really complex. Uh, he because he believes that Hart did it. Um, so yes, I'm sorry, Murray. Uh, go ahead, please. No, with the, with I, the trial. Yeah, no, I was gonna say about. I was still at the part where they were like they spent. They still they managed to spend like five to six minutes talking about how people thought uh, Hart could turn into a bird because of yeah. his Native American heritage. I was like, what are we doing here? But Truly. that was Pratt's, I believe, theory. So that's where it gets interesting because apparently he was the one that was pushing this. Um, this wow. uh, skinwalker is what they are called. Uh-huh. Um, and it's interesting because Pratt is Sha- Shawnee Arapaho and yeah, uh, versus like Cherokee. So uh-huh. it, it not, none of that makes sense. And then skinwalkers are Navajo. Which are completely different than mm-hmm. um heart because heart is Cherokee. So all of this doesn't make sense to me. Where um and again, I apologize if I if maybe the tribes are a little bit similar, but from what I see, like Navajo people are the ones that you know have like this culture and um and they haven't shared this with outsiders. So yeah. we truly don't know so much about that. Um and we don't know. Yeah, like we just don't know. And there's a lot of Cherokee people actually that say, you know, like that talk about this, but have said non Navajos just don't want to let this mm-hmm. out to people. And J.K. Rowling actually, right, like took that um in Harry Potter. So it's just it's an interesting moment where I understand what Harvey Pratt is trying to say, because like, listen, there is a lot of culture that yeah. we just don't know about as outsiders mm-hmm. and that's mm-hmm. okay and i and i understand that maybe he was trying to make some sense out of it but you know it's still appropriation of navajo mm-hmm. culture and i don't and i was reading you know a few articles and navajo people were talking about like medicine men and women just like wouldn't necessarily like harbor a fugitive like that's not right. you know just because they happen to be native american if they knew that he did something wrong so there's like a lot of layers to that as well um and there's ideas that they actually brought in dogs the smell yeah. um and apparently dogs were looking up and that's why they thought he was um shape-shifting and maybe he didn't like listen i don't know but the point yeah. is like Come on. Well, the the point is that that uh, Hart had been evading the authorities for four years four while years. remaining while remaining right there, and they used mm. to see him in town, and they just go, oh, <laughs> just walking oh, out. there's Jean, there's Jean Leroy Hart, and then they'd look again, and he'd be gone. But <laughs> he was uh, an extremely um, competent woodsman by all accounts. But as someone else, and I haven't got it noted here, who. Um, quite rightly says he had a lot of friends in the area he's not in a cave for four years he's Uh staying with friends so again this this mysticization oh and two of the dogs died you know dogs die the tree's dead it just Uh it irritated me because not because i don't want to look at the mysticism but don't glance at it sideways say it and move on as if 
it's enough to just say it. And Sasha, thank you for bringing that uh, appropriation uh, to our, um, to us because I just, from the documentary, assumed that it was part of Cherokee culture, the um, the shape-shifting into the... And like, uh, into yeah, the and like I said, I didn't do a lot of research. So like if Navajo and Cherokee are that close, then like apologies. And and Sasha, I, I think you you at least we can tell that you have a good intention. This documentary, I don't know. I exactly. don't. I, I did not feel that first episode where they're they're talking about his background and stuff like that. I and then like I said, they, it felt so quick that they were um that they were coming down to him. Even I was like, okay, where's the evidence? Like I I almost felt like he was being railroaded. And then like then there was moments where I'm like, oh okay, well. Well, by the by, by the time we got a lot more of the facts, I was like, "Oh, okay." It was just mm-hmm. like it. It just it just felt like an element that was not handled properly. Um, I mean, he it, it, he can be guilty and railroaded. Like yeah. it's not very true. It's not That's just true. innocent people. <laughs> it's not just innocent people that have uh, evidence manufactured and planted. It's also mm-hmm. guilty people, and that yes. that again wasn't really delved into either. There were shenanigans from the. Uh, prosecution where a pair of glasses identified as having been at the, at the Girl Scout camp was found in this cave. Right. But apparently that pair of glasses between the camp and the cave was in the evidence locker at the police station. Yes. So and, uh, maybe the glasses shapeshifted and flew to the cave. And also like, and th- that was one of the parts where like this, is this one, as we're moving on to the trial mm-hmm. and all of this, like that was one of the parts where when you're looking at the, the, the photos that uh what's his I what was the photographer's name so expertly uh Mike um, Wheat Michael Wheat Mike, yes Michael Wheat did a a great job of um photographing everything in the camp he you know through tears he talked about how he had to go into that tent and um take pictures even though he also went into that tent and stepped in all the stepped blood, in blood. Mm. Uh, but um mm-hmm. he did a really good job of documenting the stuff from what we were told and we are shown, we're shown more pictures of the random stuff lying around than we are of the actual pictures of the tent or the actual pictures of the bodies, which is great. I did I need. We don't want to see bodies. Yes. But the only picture that they had of those sunglasses was in leaves, like in the grass of like leaves from what I saw in this documentary. So if that is true, if we see these glasses in leaves, or like it looked like the glasses were on a bed of leaves. So it made me more think like I didn't see any pictures of the glasses in the cave. Did I miss something? Because I didn't see a picture of the of the glasses in the cave. No, I, right. I can't bring it to mind. Of, of right. No, well, the pictures that the pictures <laughs> yes. I remember being in the cave were of the four sacrificial fires yep. and then the pictures of the women. Even the other document sa- uh, says the prescription glasses were found. But. This leads to another connection that they don't explore, which could take only one minute to explore. The women that he raped, the two women, the two pregnant women, they told testimony that he tried on their prescription glasses too. Oh. Take a step back. It's the so photojournalist photographs mm-hmm. um, a whole lot of things in in and around the camp. They the are camp close up. It could be things that girls have discarded or it could be things that a burglar or a robber has gone in and picked up and thrown aside. So we see photographs of a, of a guitar capo, a mm-hmm. um, string that was used to tie up. So, so these are treated as, as if they're the same thing. One is, mm-hmm. one is something that you bring to 
to brutally murder someone and one is mm-hmm. something that you lost or somebody stole or, or just got dropped along the way. Mm-hmm. There is a photograph of glasses, but we are not told whether they are the glasses that were found in the cave. You see our frustration, gotcha. listeners. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we don't want you to have to go through this. Right. We are led to assume it's the glasses because the mm-hmm. documentary agrees with the fact that law enforcement planted evidence and had shenanigans. That's what it felt but like. they can just indicate that by showing us, as Murray says, glasses in the grass and then referring to a pair of glasses. We don't know if they're the same. Yes. we're getting into we are getting now we we're are getting into, into the weeds, weeds as well yeah but i we, we <laughs> but yeah, i mean we that's the point like mm-hmm. we're getting yeah we're getting into the weeds because it felt like they didn't yeah and like we brought up several times like this this definitely has a lot of comparison to the oj trial with um gene hart being a athlete being a, a famous athlete race with him being a native american and the the town itself they were saying the town themselves felt like he was being railroaded but the the interesting thing to me up until the point that they started saying that the town wasn't on the side of like the prosecutor and the defense before that all i'm seeing are headlines of like you know manhunt for for um child murderer like all of these media headlines that are like painting him like unobtrusively as like the killer and all of that I thought that would have a greater effect on the town. You know, normally if 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 the news ref, the news reflects what the people are thinking, I yep. would like assume when it comes to these types of cases. Um, and up until then, it just seemed like they everybody was like, "It's a manhunt! It's a manhunt!" It, it happened for years. All those people came out. Like, didn't they say like over like six hundred people came out to try and find 600 him? Drunk people, apparently. Yeah, drunk people. People. yeah. according to our side googling, drunk people and with rifles. With yeah. rifles, what, a, what an amazing. So I, I was really thinking like, oh, they they have him. He is bag taped. They got him. But then when we get to trials, like, oh, no, a lot of people thinking he's not going to get a fair trial. Um, the, the, pro, the, the first DA ends up getting removed because he ends up perjuring himself on the stand. What and he right that erodes trust in the public. So they have to import the actual Tulsa DA to come and try him. And then I again, I went back and I watched literally just the trial portion and made sure I really watched it. And what they presented at the trial. They definitely dropped the bag. It definitely was like the OJ trial. Mm. You did not prove your case, at least for what this documentary specifically showed me. Somebody who considers themselves very wise when it comes to like court and evidence and stuff like that. There was too many holes. And they were they kept talking about how they on the the, the flashlight, which they thought was like the, the nail biter, like the, the, the nail in the coffin, the flashlight, they're like, oh, there's a flashlight with tape on it and we have a fingerprint on it. But the fingerprint was inconclusive. The fingerprint was inconclusive because it was a smudge. Then the of course the defense attorney says like there's a fingerprint on there. And it does not match my client, which is what the defense attorney is supposed to say, because it does not match his client because it, it cannot be can't match anybody. It, anybody. It's yeah, it's a smudge. But that's what happens when the prosecutor brings up a flashlight with a fingerprint on it. If you were going to introduce that evidence, then you, that evidence is open to the defense and the defense can present it in that way. 
And you have no you have no backing because you truly said it yourself. We can't match it to him, you know. And then it was like the pictures. It goes really deep in the weeds because it's put as if the um, sheriff, the one who he he's been escaping for four years, Sheriff Weaver really doesn't like him. These random pictures with these women um, because uh, Hart had helped in the prison with the photography in the prison. So that he had like, uh, allegedly he had these, these little pictures with these women on it, but somehow they're in Weaver's desk. It did not make sense. None of that made sense. Uh, and Side Googing tells us that um, in speaking to inmates at that prison, those photographs were in wide circulation uh, inside the prison. Which would make sense. It, it there it's pretty women. You it's a photography photography. They probably did it all over the jail. Like it doesn't make it. It didn't. None of it made sense to me. I was really so confused as to what they thought that the actual nail in the coffin for him to be the person was. This is another you know our fantasy documentary. What might have been? Just talk about the trial. Just talk about the missteps made by mm-hmm. the prosecution. Just talk about the suborned perjury from the defence, where they mm-hmm. paid, uh, they got a woman to say that she'd seen somebody else in, in the area. Um, there were other suspects where they're referred to, but we never hear anything about them. So it was as if they were at a buffet and panicked and put everything mm-hmm. on their plate and ended up with a very unappetising thing. Rather than oh here we go we always get a little little PSA from me PSA buffets go to the end of the buffet because they put the cheap filling stuff at the beginning of the line go to mm-hmm. the end of the line that's where the good stuff is that's where and the also, prime rib is just <laughs> get a small plate take it back to your place eat it the buffet's still there you can go back and get more if you need it but it was as if they had this rich assortment of of, of stuff uh, and they couldn't decide how to curate their plate or how to curate this documentary. Yeah. And also there was, Mari, to your point, um, there actually was another guy, uh, a farmer that lived nearby. And we'll talk more about what he is. But the reason I wanted to bring it up here was because his name actually was in the newspaper also as hmm. a um, as a slayer. And they like tarnished his name for a while. And he had to like, I think. Oh, had a, wow. He had a heart attack or something, like because of all the issues with his like name being tarnished. So again, they're not telling us this. So how would you know? So you, we just get whiplash. Uh-huh. Uh If any if of you guys want to go in depth as to what we missed from the trial here, I know Sasha, you said there was actually a list of suspects because that was another thing that the defense used in the trial that to create doubt by naming more suspects. In the documentary, we got a quick 30 seconds of one of the, the suspects um, that they tried to push it on, and it was it was not fleshed out. It it was so quick, even I was like, I don't I don't know if that mm-hmm. could be that guy. Like is, is, any more insight on that? A lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, well, let's, so, let's, let's, let's move mm-hmm. on. We'll keep, we'll keep promising to, to tell Mari what we've discovered. Uh, I'll start because I think my, my stuff is a little, a little briefer than, than Sasha's. But uh, less than two months before the murder, um, a, there was on-site training at Camp Scott and the counsellors discovered that their belongings had been ransacked, donuts had been stolen, and a note had been left. We are on a mission to kill three girls in tent one. The director of the camp uh, treated this as a prank. 
and it was discarded. The other thing that I want to talk about is the jury very briefly. Um, one of the thoughts is that they felt the prosecution hadn't provided them with enough evidence to enable them to find a heart guilty. And the mm-hmm. other thinking is that, and one of the jurors said it, they knew because he's now been captured, he's going back to jail for 305 years. So uh-huh. they there was also a feeling of, if we don't find him guilty, he is still going to the prison for the rest of his life, as to, it turned out to be an extra uh, four months. So none of that was, was told to us uh, in the documentary. Uh-huh. Sasha, what did you find? Ooh. All right. Um, so for the suspects part, right? So Jack uh, Trough, I believe is how you say his last name. He was a farmer. Even though he passed a lie detector test, y'all, the rope and the duct tape were from his property. And they, uh, so they gave him lie detector tests, all this stuff, and then decided, okay, the rope was stolen. And even then the newspapers continued to run his name. Then, um, when dogs were brought in, right? Like, he, cause he's escaped all this stuff. He's actually been out for four years and turns out they found him a mile away from camp. Uh, uh-huh. uh, that's yeah. where the cave was, which I don't know if we like got that piece as well, where the cave wasn't that, um, far. And then, um, and yeah, and that's when the piece of like he raped the two pregnant women and used nylon rope and duct tape. And the women that survived, both of them ended up surviving, thank goodness, um, heard the same voices the camp counselor heard from him. The same like visceral moans, right? That the camp counselor was saying, like, I thought it was the animal. (laughs) They, uh, these two women, while unfortunately they were being raped, heard the same, him, him make the same noises. So, all of this was actually why they realized it was him that did this. So, so, but the judge disallowed evidence yes. from the women's. Yes. Why? If it points to motive, we have no, that's something we still, I couldn't figure out, Sarah. I don't know if you could figure Perhaps out why. The documentary might have liked to have told us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like they didn't yes. even tell us about the disallowance of that very uh, inculpatory evidence. They didn't mm-hmm. even tell us that that the judge had disallowed it, and that would have been a very yeah. interesting uh, um, piece. That would have yes. made more sense as to why that. Like, I really, it was really weird that they wanted this not guilty, not guilty, not guilty to to be like a surprise, but by kind of like not showing fully why it would make sense for it to be not guilty, they kind of try to lean on the surprise of the not guilty, but by showing maybe not that much. But even in that, not that much that they showed about the trial portion in this docuseries, again, I was like, there's nothing here that you've told me that he's actually done it. But now you just made me confused as to why, like, what are the reasons that once we know at the end that he more than likely did do it, it's like, well, then why couldn't they have proven it? You know what I'm saying? Like, put if you're if you know at the end of your documentary, you're basically going to say this man did it. Mm. tell us why it it went yep. where it went wrong in the tell time. us where it went wrong exactly and that that's such a huge thing that that we have uh identical methodology uh he left these women for dead and unfortunately this is quite hard to hear but when they uh, uh got the girls out of the sleeping bag one of them was warm she was dead mm. but she was warm uh so this is again his methodology he 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 beats them 
uh, and and leaves them for, leaves them for dead. Uh, they may have already died, or not. Um, and this is a, such a huge piece of evidence. Go into let's see the transcript. Let's let's find out from a legal expert. Mm-hmm. Let's bring someone in to to explain it to us. Um, There's a further property. There was a 1993 documentary called Someone Cry for the Children, dreadful title, uh, based on a book of the same name, um, narrated by Johnny Cash. Sasha, you did the hard yards and tried to watch that for us. Uh, How far did you get and what did you learn? Uh, Like five minutes. Um, But I listened. (laughs) You lasted longer than me. (laughs) Yeah, but I did listen to um, a podcast by The Mile. Their name is The Mile High, and it is... Um, this episode is titled on YouTube, Unsolved, the Chilling 1977 Oklahoma Girl Scout Murders. Uh, so would recommend, I mean, it's honestly a little bit of what we talked through, but, you know, give them the views too. Um, but they like basically did the whole documentary and shared it with us. And that's what I ended up listening to because it's a, there are a couple and it was really nice to hear. I think that's what Mari you saw, like mm-hmm. that you didn't like those gotcha. cutaways. It was from that documentary, I believe. That's that feels lazy. Yes, and not even giving that again. I didn't see it, but no not giving yeah. the documentary credit. Weird. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and basically, then in the cave they actually found women's underwear. Also, oh. uh, yeah, and then they found Tulsa newspaper clippings that were also found at the scene. So and yes, the, the newspaper was used to yes, uh, because the, the battery and the flashlight or torch, mm-hmm. if you're in Australia, uh, was loose and newspaper had been tucked inside the housing to keep the battery uh, tight. Quiet. Uh, right, and yeah. um, oh well, quiet as well. Mm-hmm. And that same other parts of that same newspaper were found in the cave. Sarah, did they say the kill, what was written on the cave? Or no, I- we know we know this- that from our side googling. This is really chilling it's it's i'm sorry if i'm a documentary filmmaker i i start with that image Thank of what you. was written on the cave wall i mean it's awful but it's incredible it said the killer was here bye bye fools 77 6 17 oh yeah. my so god four, four days four days after the murder how is that not like the name of this documentary honestly what yeah, is bye bye happening fools. right now yeah like I feel like you like it less now than you did yes, an hour ago. I know. <laughs> that's what I was and sad I did about. not like yeah. it that much an hour ago. Even... <laughs> yes. Oh, my gosh. And I then this manhunt ends up costing um, the state $1.25 million in today's world. So it wasn't like this like baby thing that happened. Um, and, you know, like Sarah said, they were drunk and armed, but native people also sent their own people to monitor this because of how mm-hmm. just like mess it was getting. So I wanted to bring that to the attention as well that like, it, because I feel like they weren't really showing the hard work or the work native folks were doing to, you know, still trying to um, protect their community because like we said, mm-hmm. both and where, mm-hmm. um, maybe, Gene Hart was horrible. Um, and uh, Native Americans in this country, in Oklahoma, are treated poorly, horrible, yes. not as human. So both can be true. So that yeah. also happened with the manhunt piece. And then dogs were dying. 
So dogs died of like heat exhaustion, but they were like, oh, the dogs died. So that must mean he is, you know, this like mystically dark mm -hmm. magic, whatever person, because the dogs died of like one died of heat exhaustion and the other, I can't remember, died of some other reason. Um, but anyway, and then, um, this part is when I was like, you, you cannot tell me it wasn't him. Anyway, there was security, okay, that worked at this camp, um, because this camp was at that point, um, like a few months was still running. So, um, while it was running, they, you know, found, um, they were like, great, we're at the great hall, nothing. They ended up leaving because they heard some noise. And when they came back an hour ish later, there was Michelle's shoes mm. at the great hall's steps. This is the night of? Nope. Many months later. Oh my gosh. Security guard found shoes. Yes. With, oh, I'm sorry. With Denise's name. Oh, this is what made me mm. mad. I was like, why well, I have to be Denise? Uh, Denise's mm -hmm. name in the bag, um, in the dining hall. And they didn't know how it got there, but then they realized someone was basically stalking the campsite. And how did the security figure this out? State of the art, um, systems. They tied small strings around the trees um and turns out uh later on the the tree the strings were broken um and there were footprints <laughs> all around them and of this course said footprints was maybe similar in size mm. to the nine and a half that they had found yes but uh, i mean the the there's the stalking around the camp and the rummaging through belongings happened for a couple of months before the murders and as sasha's telling us a couple of months after oh, yeah. okay. so there was some kind of um of of obsession there um i just want to to point out that richard guzay who uh, the late richard guzay father of michelle uh, went on to help the state legislature pass the oklahoma victims bill of rights and he also helped us set up the Oklahoma Crime Victims Compensation Board. And as we mentioned before, Sherry Farmer, who was uh, Laurie's mother, uh, founded the Oklahoma Chapter of Parents of Murdered Children, a support group. So mm. wonderful work by those devastated parents there. Let's go to our ratings, Sasha, from one to five magnifying glasses, five being the absolute tip top. What are you going to give? Keeper of the Ashes. Yeah. The Unfortunately, best. I think I'm at a three where like maybe if I didn't know this stuff, I would have been fine. But they left out so much. The defense worked really hard. I wish they would have shown all this. I'm like at a 2.53. 2.53. That's very precise. Mari, I what know. are you out of five? I am out of one out of five. All wow. this just tells me, this is our lowest rating. And this just tells me nobody needs to watch this. Like what Sasha just said to me, I just feel like I just go to whatever documentary you got that off of or listen to the podcast that you just got that off of. And it just more infuriates me because it, it feels like the documentary itself, if it's holding back, it, it feels like it's holding back not only all of the evidence that it was him, like it doesn't present all of the evidence that it was him, but also doesn't present all of the evidence as to why the defense won the case so it, it it feels like they try to make it seem like oh my god they got a not guilty and that was the wrong call like it was just kind of like it was on the jury like that was just a wrong call like this shouldn't have happened this way while, while not telling us why it happened this way 
um it it, it kind of feel like it's trying to pass the buck in a sense like yes. and then for you to try and pass the buck as to why it's not why he got these not guilties to only just go to the fourth episode in the fourth episode we get the the most scientific evidence we get sheriff mike doing re reenactments of what he thinks happened talking about the ligature marks talking about the similarities in mo we get andrea doing the dna samples that that basically rules out all of the other suspects the other suspects that we never heard about because they didn't present it but was clearly a big thing at the trial and that it points to him it felt it feels like they're trying to be like See, this was a miscarriage of justice. It was him, and he wasn't found guilty. But why? You, you're exactly. not. You're not. You're not diving into it. And like I said, that plus all the Kristen Chenoweth stuff, plus the recapping the first ten minutes, plus four <laughs> parts. I this took three hours of my life that I'm not getting back. Okay. So coming into this, I was and then ninety minutes to podcast about it. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I, w- I was at a two coming into this. After y'all just told me all of that stuff, there's no way I can give it anything more than a one because it was it was a half it was half completed. Like how do you half complete this uh, documentary series like this, four parts and don't include a bulk of the evidence? That enrages me. I am enraged right now. You should listeners, you should see my face right now as Sasha was just <laughs> reading this stuff down. I'm just like, I am done. This is not, this was not a documentary series. Like Sasha and Sarah said, this seemed like this was a Kristen Chenoweth vehicle to promote whatever she's promoting because we didn't get any of what we needed to get from this. Sarah, wow. <laughs> what's well, your recommendation? I'm, I'm going to, leave, uh, controversially, I'm going to leave aside all the stuff that they didn't tell us. That, that, that Sasha and I have been laying out for you. I'm going to leave all that aside and I'm just going to look at the documentary in and of itself and what it told me and how it told me. And I'm going to give it a very bitter two. <laughs> the, uh, for reasons already stated, mm-hmm. I think that they didn't take a point of view. I think the storytelling was a mess. Mm-hmm. I think you get Sheriff Mike as the narrator. You get Sheriff Mike to take us through. He's the one that's obsessed with the case. Uh, he's mm-hmm. the one that gave us the very clear how you can subdue, I'm sorry to say this, how you can subdue three children. He acts it out for us, and it's very affecting. He's a father himself. He had a lot to say. He's lived in that area all his life. He can tell us about the area. He can tell us about Oklahoma. He can tell us about the spirit of the people. Mm-hmm. So I think it was a huge miss um, not to have him front and centre uh, get rid of uh, Kristen, give her her own special, which I will watch, I promise. Um, so I think the the mess of it and the touching on things and moving away uh, and trying to cram everything on their plate from the buffet, I'm going to give it a two. Let's move on for our recommendations because we would like to recommend things for people to mm-hmm. watch as we are clearly all saying don't bother with this one. Sasha, what's your recommendation? Yeah, I feel like I've needed to keep it on theme. So I'm going to recommend Killers of the Flower Moon. And it's a book, but I, I believe they're coming out with a movie about it as well. Mm-hmm. But um, anyway, so the movie is investigates the series of murders of wealthy Osage people in Oklahoma um, that took 
place in Osage County uh, after big oil deposits were uh, discovered beneath their land. Hmm. And it actually also, and the Osage were kind of like the middleman. And, you know, it talks a little bit about the plot and the money and all of this stuff. And then at the end, also the book details the newly formed FBI um, Mm. and how the FBI like was birthed because of this. We'll put that in the show notes. Mari, do you have a recommendation for everybody today? Yes, I have something that's completely kind of off topic because I just wanted you to watch something good. And so um, on HBO Max, there's a series called The Murders at White House Farm. It is a docudrama. I think that's what we landed on about um, um, featuring actors that if you've watched even a shred of Game of Thrones, you'll know uh, the the I didn't I'm sorry, guys, I didn't get any of the actors names. I'm just coming off the top. But the guy who plays Robert Baratheon is the main detective. And what he's doing is he's investigating the murders at this White White House farm where a family is massacred. Um, uh, the parents are massacred along with their daughter and the daughter's two sons. So, again, trigger warning. Um, uh, they're they're murdered overnight and um the police are made aware of the murders because the son calls the police and like hey my dad just called me my dad said that my sister is going around shooting everybody in the house can you get out to white house farm immediately the police get there they stand outside for a few hours and then mm-hmm. um they go in and they realize like everybody in the farm is dead but this like i said it's a show and so there's great acting by the the um, the actor who plays Robert Baratheon. Um, again, if you've watched Game of Thrones, the actress who plays Yara is also in it. And then um, uh, the actor who plays Theon Greyjoy is also in it. Like it's like so many actors from Game of Thrones in this show, and it's so good. It's done so well. Um, it is. I think it, it's six episodes. And it um, it basically follows Robert Baratheon's um, the actor as he's trying to convince the rest of the police department that this is not a clear cut case of murder suicide. Um, that he thinks that it was actually the son who committed the murders, and it is um, it's so good. It w- it was so good. It was well well acted. They walked through the case very well. Um, it's based, of course, it's based on a true story. Um, and uh, I would definitely go suggest watching that because and it, it's, it's from 2020. Um, yeah, it's from 2020. And like I said, it can be found in the in the U.S. on HBO Max. So wonderful. Uh, go check it out. Well, we also have a listener recommendation from Ari. Uh, Ari's recommending The Confession Killer on Netflix. So this was certainly on my list. So thanks, Ari. I'll move it up. Uh, it's about a man who confesses to a whole lot of killings. And then Mary did Lee he Lucas. do that? Yeah. So uh-huh. this is a great recommendation. Thank you. Um, a crime scene. We're eager to hear your feedback. If you want to t- tell us why we're wrong about uh, Keeper uh-huh. of the Ashes, or if you want to thank us for saving you the time, uh, we will listen to that and uh, suggestions for further episodes. You can follow Crime Scene on Twitter at Crime Scene RHAP, that's Scene S-E-E-N, or email us at Crime Scene RHAP at gmail.com. 
if you subscribe to our feed, you get your episodes a day early, which is exciting. You get a true crime mm-hmm. Tuesday rather than a wounded Wednesday. Uh, mm-hmm. You can subscribe at robhasawebsite.com forward slash crime feed. So, Sasha, what else have you got going on and where can people find you? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at funsize underscore oh four. Also, I am one half, as Sarah said, of the Mess Magnets, which is the pop culture podcast over on the same network. Uh, maybe you don't know about Rob has a podcast, but we're on the same network as Crime Scene and we talk all things pop culture mess, sometimes listener mess. And mm. that's truly probably the best part of it is when, um, y'all send us some stuff. So go check that out. Um, it's, it, you can just look up Mess Magnets or on robhasapodcast.com uh, slash Mess Magnets. And um, over on Silent Podcast, I was on Abbott Elementary talking about lots of fun things there as well. So go look up Silent Podcast. It's another podcast. And that is it. Thanks for having me, y'all. This was so much fun. You know, as just as the Broken Arrow lover, I just I'm glad I could be here. <laughs> We're so happy to have you. Barry, where can people find you and what have you got going on? All right. I'm currently in a contract dispute for the Wrestling Rehab Up podcast. Me <laughs> and Matt are about to, I'm about to walk out on Matt. Uh, no, I'm just playing. I'm you, can, dead. You, can, you can find me in, in Matt at the Wrestling Rehab Up. Uh, you can go to robhasawebsite.com slash wrestling feed. Each week we break down the highlights of the week in the weird, wild world of wrestling. You don't even got to watch. You just can listen to us. Um, make sure you follow me on Twitter at Mari Talks Too Much. That's two like the number two to um, see what I'm doing. Last week was very busy for me. So I was on the Survivor Academy, um, the Unlock Survivor Academy um, episode with Rob. Uh, if you want to hear me talk nonsensically and give you very chaotic tips on how to be a um, a probably bad survivor player you can no. um, <laughs> go to and find it was me. really <laughs> good it was really good yeah it was <laughs> thank you the the unlocked version of that i also uh was on the hot mess express choo choo uh this week with uh puya zambikili the conductor of the hot mess express as we talked about 90 day fiance the og version i had a very good time um just dragging some of those couples with Puya. Um, so you can always go to robhasawebsite.com slash 90 day fiance. I think that's his feed um, and catch me on that. Uh, that's about, oh, we wrapped up Atlanta coverage over on post show recap. So if you are watching, if you're watching Atlanta season three, it's now done. It's over. It's a wrap. You can go and catch up on um, me, Chappelle and Italian Starks. We talk about each episode of season three. Um, so go check us out over there. And that's it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a big, big week for Mari. Um, but uh, yes, yeah, so do, do listen to all of us in all the things that we do. You can follow me on Twitter at Sarah Carradine. I've just uh, covered the true crime docudrama Candy on Hulu uh, over on post show recaps where the scripted uh, shows generally live. Um, that was a request from some of our crime scene listeners. So you see, you do affect our lives. Mm. Um, so all five episodes dropped uh, a day each last week. So you can binge the show and binge the podcast. I recommend it with some reservations. So you'll mm. hear those reservations in the last uh, episode. 
Next time on Crime Scene, uh, we are talking about the excellent docu-series Devoured, Mm -hmm. which is all about food crimes. Absolutely fascinating. Um, No murders, a couple of deaths, but it is fascinating. (laughs) Um, We'll be focusing on Episode 3, We All Scream which is about the Bluebell ice cream recall, uh, the Texas brand. But uh, Murray and I will give you a rundown on the series as a whole as we've both watched and liked all of it. Our guest will be the wonderful Asia Welch. So uh, watch it on Vice and send us your comments and questions. Thanks to Will from America for the theme music and Scott St. Pierre behind the scenes. Until next time, case, case closed. closed. <laughs>